if there's anybody here at all who has never ever fallen over. I'm guessing probably not. Some than others we know about. Would you wave at me if you've never ever fallen over? No? Okay, that's, that's more or less what I thought. The strange thing is that we have some sort of almost fascination, don't we, about people falling over. There's a whole TV program, isn't it, on every week, or used to be every week. It's really about people falling over and the, the pain they must go through. Uh, and it's a strange fascination that we have. And of course, sometimes falling over can be very painful. I remember a number of years ago, I used to take a group of teenagers to Runcorn um, Ski Centre. Quite How I got into that is another story, anyway. And uh, it took them every year. Uh, and the teens were all fairly learned. Like, we stayed down the bottom a bit, and I could cope with that, and that was fine. But this particular year, one of the other leaders was saying how they were going to go a bit further up and, and come down, and, and they went on and on about it. They were persuading me to do the same, which was a mistake. And uh, on the way down, I fell over on this dry ski slope, and I tell you, it was very painful. I had real burns down my arm, leg, and, and all the rest, and I had to drive them back to Wallasey afterwards. That was, that was fun. So falling over can be painful. It can also be amusing, at least for other people. I remember when I was, I think it was before I was married, when I was still... Um, going out with Ruth, I, I took her and her mother, they didn't have a car, I took them from Chelmsford where we lived to Colchester to go shopping. And somehow Ruth's mum fell over crossing the road and the hysterics from Ruth and left me to try and help her pick her up was quite something. <coughs> Could also be a very serious matter, of course. Um, my parents had a dog, had several dogs, and they used to take them to a park. And my mum, particularly, this one particular time, um, did the same sort of course route around this park she always did, including walking around this lake. And as she came to the edge of the lake, the ground literally gave away underneath her. And she fell and, and broke her ankle and her knee and all sorts of things and was stuck in this hole while the dog was yapping around for ages, apparently, until someone came to a rescue on the rest of it. So, uh, and that broken ankle never really healed, and, and she was limping around for some time after that. Something about the British press that likes to highlight when a celebrity falls, when something goes wrong in their life, the celebrity, the, the press is all over it. And even sadly, as Christians, sometimes there's almost a, we wouldn't admit it, but almost a sort of a, a delight inside us when another Christian falls. We secretly enjoy other people's misfortune sometimes, which is, which is very sad, but I, th- I think sometimes that is true. So my title today, if you want to title this, Staying Down or Getting Up, I think that's a choice that we all have. In a sense, it's not about if we're going to fall, it's when we fall. But the key thing about falling is getting up afterwards. And that's true physically when you walk along the road and you trip, the key is getting up. But also it's true in our Christian life as well. It's one thing to fall over and it's something else to to get up. And so we're going to be thinking about falling, getting up. We're going to look at a bit about um, Thomas, the disciple, and a bit about Peter and and contrasting them. But before we do that, I've asked Tom just to read something just about the disciples. A bit of a strange bunch, really. 
This is a letter from Jordan Management Consultants to Jesus, son of, uh, son of Joseph, Woodcrafters, Carpenter Shop, Nazareth, 25922. <laughs> Dear sir, thank you for submit, submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organisation. All of them have now taken our battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The, pro the profiles of all tests are included, and you will want to study each of them very carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance. This additional insight is given as a result of staff consultation and comes without any additional fee. It is our opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of, manager, of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Firstly, Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine the morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alpheus and, and Thaddeus, definitely had radical, have radical leanings, uh, and they both registered high on the manic-depressive scale. <laughs> However, one of your candidates uh, shows great potential. He is a man of ability, resourcefulness, he meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. Therefore, we recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are pretty self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. Thanks, Tom. So let's think about Judas for a bit. Let's think about Peter a bit and con contrast a little bit their situation. Judas, we know, end up betraying Jesus with a kiss for 30 pieces of silver. Peter, we know, denied knowing Jesus to a servant girl. Both, I guess, serious things to do. Both were serious fools, but with a very, very different outcome between the two situations. In Matthew 27, we read about Judas. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Not a very positive um, Bible reading, is it really? You don't find that on a, a memory, on a verse, on a, you know, a poster or something. Um, not really in a, in a promise box, on a charms. You don't sort of see those sort of verses. Judas realised what he'd done. I think Judas was a complicated character, and I wonder if he was trying to force Jesus' hand. I wonder if he thought Jesus was just taking too much time, so he thought he would do something to make sure that Jesus react, reacted and brought his kingdom in. We don't really know whatever happened, whatever his motive was. But it all backfired. Jesus was condemned because of Jesus' actions. Judas was full of remorse. According to the internet, so it must be right, remorse is an emotional expression of personal regret felt by the person after he or an act 
which they deemed to be shameful, hurtful or violent. That's um, what remorse is all about. It's interesting, it's the same root word as the word repentance, but it's a weaker word. It literally means mind. That's the idea. Michael Green, who has a number of commentaries and books, he says, remorse is always destructive. Repentance is always creative. Remorse is always destructive, and remorse, it seems to me, centres upon ourselves. If we're full of remorse, it's ourselves that we're taken up with. It leads to self-pity, it leads to paralysis, leads to nothing really positive coming out of it. Repentance, on the other hand, leads us to God. Repentance leads to determination and to action. And Judas made an attempt to put things right. He took the money back, returned it to the priests. Was that just to ease his conscience? We don't really know. But Jesus fell and he didn't get up. Desperate outcome, he went and, and he hanged himself. And Judas is the, the source, cinema of a betrayal, the desperate, desperate outcome. Peter, on the other hand, he denied even knowing Jesus. And it's interesting that as Christians, we tend to be hard on Judas, but soft on Peter, maybe. Our idea is that Judas is the villain, and Peter becomes a bit of a hero. Now, I think there's various reasons for that, but one of them, I think, is because Peter fell, but he got up. Judas fell, but he stayed down. We read the story in, in Mark chapter 14 just before Jesus was to be arrested on the Mount Olives, he was speaking to his 12 disciples. And he said a shocking thing. He said, you will all fall away. And Peter, good old Peter, opened his mouth, put his foot in it every single time, didn't he? He said, even if the others fall away, I will never fall away. Jesus says to Peter, Before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. Peter, even if I even if I have to die, I will never deny you. And you know the story how Jesus was arrested before the Sanhedrin. Peter was following to see what was happening. At least he was there. The other disciples, it would appear, weren't weren't there at that time. In Mark fourteen. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You were also with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him before. The rooster crows twice, you'll disown me three times. He broke down, and he wept. Jesus predicted exactly what Peter would do. It's not good to do something wrong to mess up 
But isn't it worse when you're warned in advance? There's only one thing worse than having someone say, I told you so. And that's that deep down feeling when you know they're right. That's even worse. And Peter crumbles. Peter, the macho man, the physical action man who's done lots of work and and, and fishing, very physical, he crumbles before the mighty servant girl. And commentators argue about how old she may have been. Some say she was a young teenager. One book I was looking at suggested that she may have just been a child. May have been eight, nine, ten, that sort of age. So I don't know who out of the men here would think of themselves as the toughest, strongest, bravest male. I won't ask for you to, to vote on that, okay? But whoever it is, if you can picture that person standing there and being intimidated by, by Jess. Let's pick up Jess, okay? It's that real strong hero. Perhaps Jess would be very intimidated, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. It's that, that strong muscle man and that little servant girl. Not only was she probably young, as a servant girl, she had no authority. No authority whatsoever. And yet... Peter starts not just denying, it would appear he starts swearing, even starts blaspheming, using the worst possible language imaginable. And the cock crows, Peter remembers, he breaks down and he weeps. Now the question there is, is this remorse or is this repentance? Now from those verses, it's hard to tell. Sentence, uh, remorse, sentence upon ourself, leads to self-pity, leads to paralysis. Repentance, sentence upon God, leads to determination, leads to actions. <coughs> Excuse me. How can we tell what this was? Is this remorse or is it repentance? Well, in John chapter 21, we read, a story there about Jesus appearing to disciples. This is a sort of post-resurrection appearance. This is after Jesus come back from the dead. Uh, and the disciples have gone fishing. And sometimes I think they're not particularly good fishermen because yet again we're told they caught nothing. You know, why is it whenever they go fishing that they don't catch anything? But anyway, that, that's the situation here. Been out all night, caught nothing. Jesus says, well, throw the, the nets over the other side and... As per usual, they catch this great big catch. And Jesus cooks them breakfast. Now notice that Peter was with the disciples. I think that's a clue to start off with. If you're just full of remorse, you tend to turn in upon yourself and withdraw from other people. Peter didn't do that. So maybe that's an indicator. But Jesus takes the initiative in this story. There's incredible parallels this is early morning, this is dawn. They're warming themselves by the fire. And Jesus challenges Peter three times, do you love me? Is this remorse or is this repentance? Well, what's the outcome? You can read through the rest of the New Testament and read the stories in Acts, the letters of Peter. Peter becomes a leader of the early church, fully restored, fulfilling God's purposes. Judas fell, but he didn't get up. Peter, I suggest, fell and and got up. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read a couple of interesting verses there. 
and I've got them down from the NIV and the message. Paul says, we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. The message puts it, we've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized. Ever feel like that? Spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we get up. There's a massive long list in 2 Corinthians 11, just a few chapters on, which I'm not going to read through to you, about the time that Paul was knocked down. A massive long list of things that happened to him. But the key is he got up every single time. Knocked down, but never knocked out. Paul fell down several different times in different situations, but he never stayed down. Now, I want to ask an obvious question, really, at this point. Why is it important to get up? What's the big deal? It's a very obvious question and some very obvious answers. The first thing I would suggest is that you can't see clearly when you're on the ground. See, the perspective changes as you stand up, doesn't it? In fact, the higher you get, the perspective changes again. Some of you will be aware that um, Rebecca, which probably most of you know as Becky, but anyway, Rebecca, our daughter, um, she went for a gap year to South Africa, to Cape Town, had a brilliant time. And we um, were privileged to go out there to see her for a couple of weeks, halfway through that gap year. And where we stayed, we could see Table Mountain, which was one of the most amazing sights. But actually to go up on Table Mountain was even more incredible. To be able to look around and, and just see that incredible sight was truly amazing, it really was. But one afternoon we went in a helicopter and actually went up above Table Mountain. That view was even more amazing. When you're down, you feel embarrassed, you feel like giving up maybe. You have no real perspective. All you can see is the 20 centimetres or so in front of your nose when you've fallen down. And I suggest that when you're down, it's the wrong time to make decisions. Because you'll tend to be focused upon yourself. You'll tend to be lacking in perspective. It's not failure that shapes us. It's how we respond to that failure. One of Ruth's sayings, which is... is is clearly true, is you can't change the past. You can only change the future. So why is it important that we get up? Because you can't see clearly when you're on the ground. Another obvious point is you can't live life the full when you're on the ground. If you want to just think about something that you enjoy doing, with one exception I'll come back to in a minute, I would suggest... That one thing you enjoy doing, you can't do it if you're lying on the ground. Now, sleep is the obvious exception, okay, before someone is clever and points it out. But virtually anything you enjoy doing, you have to be getting up. You can't do it if you're lying on the ground. John 10, verse 10, Jesus talked about us having life in all of its fullness. You can't live that life if you're down on your knees, if you're down on the ground. It's only possible if you're up. 
and facing the world. The third thing is, I would suggest you can't fulfill your destiny when you're on the ground. Destiny is a bit of an old-fashioned sort of word. Speaks of purpose. Speaks of calling. Speaks of what God intends for you here on this earth. You may know the story of Mordecai and Queen Esther. There's a verse in the book of Esther, which is such a classic, when Mordecai comes to, to Queen Esther and says, and who knows but you have come to this position for such a time as this. It's a long, complicated story we haven't got time to go into. But, but, but Mordecai says to this queen, maybe you're here for a reason. You're here for this precise point in time. God has a purpose for each one of our lives. We're here for such a time as this. But the challenge is not if we're staying down only as we get up. Let's try and get practical for a few moments and how do we get up? Well, the first thing I'll say is don't get a fall out of perspective. It's not the end of the world. It's easy to be focused upon ourselves and that's a bit of a trick of the devil. He will have us... We just become isolated and withdrawn, particularly from other Christians. You see, you can't be focused upon yourself and focused upon God at the same time. It's just not possible. It's not good to fall, either physically or in our spiritual life, but life goes on. But the key is that we need to get back up again. The Bible is full of very human people who made mistakes. Rick Warren, who's written a number of books, one called The Purpose Driven Life, he writes this, he says, Abraham was old, Jacob was insecure, Leah was unattractive, Joseph was abused, Moses stuttered, Gideon was poor, Samson was codependent, Rahab was immoral, David had an affair and all kinds of family problems. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was eccentric, to say the least. Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Zacchaeus was unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health. And Timothy was timid. There's quite a variety of misfits, but God used each one of them in his service. He will use you too if you stop making mistakes. I like that. I think that's really good. There's all sorts of strange characters in the Bible. The Bible is very honest about those. But actually, God used them in their different situations. In the midst of all their their, their frailties, in the midst of their, their different issues, God still used them. And he'll use you too, Rick Warren said, if you stop making excuses. Second point I'll make is to, we shouldn't give in to self-pity. Remorse is not enough. Judas was full of remorse. He felt sorry for what he'd done, but instead of leading to action, that just led to self-pity. Repentance is a change of mind with a change of action. 
difference between remorse and repentance is a bit like this. If you want to drive down the M6 to go to Birmingham and you see a sign that says Lancaster five miles, you've got a problem. Now, remorse says, oh, that's a shame, and keeps going. Repentance goes off the next exit, turns around and goes back in the opposite direction. Our key to restoring our lives with God is repentance. It's coming back to God, not just being sorry if we got caught out. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus speaks to the church, Ephesus, and he says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. It's not just feeling sorry, it's going back to doing those things we did at first. My third thing I would suggest is we need to come back to God and repent quickly. The devil has the same plan. First of all, he wants to try and trip you up. Then once he's tripped you up, he wants to stop you getting up. You're too bad to come back to God. God won't love you now. Now, there's a strange sort of logic with this. If you're ill... I would suggest you need to go to the doctor. Would you agree with me? Yeah? Yes, okay, thank you. If you're very ill, I would suggest you need to go to the doctor quickly. Would you agree? So why is it that we allow the devil to speak to us his lies? We've already had a number of comments about the prodigal son. The father was watching for the son. He's waiting for the son's return. God is waiting for us. He, he knows that we will fall sometimes. He knows that we will let him down sometimes. But he loves us anyway. And he's there waiting to help us back up. Fourth practical point I'll suggest is that we need to learn from our fall and receive God's strength not to fall again. See, falling is not the end of the world. It wasn't for Peter. Life went on. He learned from his mistakes. Now, imagine the day of Pentecost. We know the story. Holy Spirit comes upon the church. They speak in tongues. People say, what's going on? And Peter stands up. He says, I don't know God. I don't know anything about God. Holy Spirit? What Holy Spirit? He doesn't, does he? He learned from his mistake. He went on and preached that great Pentecost sermon. If you are walking down the road in the middle of the winter and it's icy and you slip on the pavement, what happens next time you go out when it's icy? You're extra careful. I suggest we need to learn from our fall and receive God's strength and not to fall again. Staying down or getting up, that's my question. It's not the falling down which is the most important point. It's how we get up. Now, I don't want to belittle that. Sometimes that takes time. Sometimes it can take a long time. But that is the question. Not how you fall down, but how you get up. I want to just do a couple of things and come towards the end. I want to give you a couple of Bible verses couple of challenges i want to pray then i want us to watch uh, um, a, a video 
Um, it's a, a, a song which I think is really good. First Bible verse is Esther 4, verse 14. Such a time as this. Isn't it a time that we seized God's destiny for our lives? Such a time as this. And the amazing thing for God is that is different for every single one of us. His plan, his purpose for you is not the same as his plan and purpose for me. But that's a tremendous verse. Such a time as this. Another verse which is very meaningful for me personally, the book of Jonah chapter 3. And a simple little verse that you can almost miss over if, you're not, if you don't read it carefully. It says, the words of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Jonah missed up big time, didn't he? God said, go that way, and he went exactly the opposite. He came to his senses, and we read that God's word came to Jonah a second time. Don't be defined by past failures. It's time to get up. Two challenges Don't let a fall in the path define your today. My mum, when she was actually fit enough to take the dog for a walk again, avoided going anywhere near that lake for several several years. Maybe you say that was a, a sensible thing, but actually we can allow falls in the past to affect ours today. And God wants to deal with those and keep them in the past. We can't change the past. The past has happened, but we can move forward and we can look forward and see God help us for the future. Second challenge is when you're falling down, get straight back up. I don't think anybody here today would describe themselves as having fallen. If so, you need to get up. But if not, let's determine that next time we fall, in whatever sphere, it doesn't have to be a big thing, it be a small thing, whatever, let's determine and get straight back up. Let's not allow remorse to be there. Let's move forward in repentance and let's come before God, come back to God. The loving Father we've been hearing about this morning, the loving Father we've been worshipping this morning, let's come back to him as he's there with his open arms, ready to receive us, ready to help us. If the bad news is that we will all fall at some point or other in a lesser or greater way, the good news is that God is there by his spirit to help us back up. He's there to help us, to move us forward. We need to respond to that. So I'd like us just to pray, if that's okay. And then I'd like us just to watch this um, video. Uh, it's a song of the Wren Collective, it's just called Second Chance. Father God, I want to say thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace, which is so undeserved. Thank you, Lord, even times when we have messed around and, 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 uh, and we've fallen. Thank you for those times you're there for us, ready to help us up. We thank you for Peter and the, the positive lessons we can learn from his life. Lord, I pray you'll help us to come back to you when we fall. Help us to be determined to get straight back up. Lord, forgive us the time we wallow in our self-pity. Forgive us the time when we just allow the embarrassment just to 
and cloud our vision. Lord, will you help us to get straight back up, to come back to you. Lord, it's a new day. It's time to move on. Lord, will you help us? And I say thank you that you are a God who wants to speak to us a second time, maybe even a third time or a fourth time. And thank you too that you have a destiny, a purpose, that we're here for such a time as this. And just help us to embrace that, to move forward with that, I pray. Amen.